today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Do you see the connection between being a just God and a loving God? God is just, and His judgments are right, and He's going to judge evil, and it's coming. I spend some time in Second Peter, and just read. It's very short. It won't take you very long. Just spend some time in Second Peter, in that second epistle. It'll really uh, help you kind of revisit that judgment is coming. Do you often question how a message about the good news of Jesus Christ can coexist with such stern warnings about judgment? In today's teaching, Pastor J.D. unpacks how justice is loving and how we are currently experiencing the birth pains of a wonderful future ahead when evil is banished. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in Isaiah chapter 13 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Whenever you see this mention of the day of the Lord, it is speaking of the judgment of God, the wrath of God in the seven-year tribulation. That's what's coming. That's what this is referencing. It is the day of the Lord, the coming tribulation period, when God's wrath and God's judgment is poured out upon the whole world. And again, we're going to see this here in a moment. Verse 7, Therefore, All hands will be limp, every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like flames. And here it is again, verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heaven, verse 10, and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its lights to shine. Wow. That's what's coming? Yeah. When? Oh, actually, Jesus refers to this prophecy, and it won't be the first time nor the last time in the book of Isaiah. And by the way, this is probably as good of a time as any to say that it's passages like the one we just read and the prophecies like the ones we're now studying that have caused skeptics, antagonists even, to suggest that there must be two Isaiahs, because there's no way that this could have come to pass with that accuracy, with 100% precision accuracy. These prophecies, and we're going to see this next, are so unbelievable, there's no way. There had to be a second Isaiah that wrote after they happened in order to obtain and achieve this accuracy. Well, there's only one problem 
with that argument, first of all, it is refuted wholesale, because Jesus quotes Isaiah, one of them, replete throughout many of the recordings that we have in the Gospels, Jesus refers to Isaiah's prophecy. He does not refer to two Isaiahs. He refers to Isaiah. There's only one Isaiah. And these are the prophecies that Isaiah the prophet was to declare and pronounce, and they came to pass exactly as God said they would. Now this one here, Jesus refers to it when He answers the disciples' questions about the sign of His return. It's actually a twofold question. And they ask Him, what will be the signs of your return and of the end of the age? And so Jesus answers them, very detailed answer by the way, and we have it recorded in Matthew's Gospel chapter 24. He says, first thing, very interesting, the very first thing He says that will be a marker, a sign, of His return and of the end of the age is deception. The first thing He says is, let no man deceive you. Now why would He say that and mark that as a sign if deception was not a sign? I know that's deeply profound. <laughs> In other words, the sign that will mark my soon return and the end of the age will be deception. Do not be deceived. The Apostle Paul echoes this throughout the epistles. Do not be deceived. Let no man deceive you. And then he says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Nation is going to rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, ethnic group against ethnic group, ethnicity against ethnicity, race wars. There will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes. And he said these earthquakes are going to be massive, and they're going to be in various diverse places. And then he says this, and it's missed sadly, and I don't want to go into this, but if you have a King James translation, it says these are the beginning of sorrows. Other translations more accurately in our vernacular render it the beginning of birth pains, and that changes the whole complexion of the prophecy, right? Because what do we know to be true about birth pains? They come in greater frequency and greater intensity. In other words, what Jesus is saying is th the deception, frequency, intensity will increase. Nation rising against nation, wars, and threats of wars, like we needed more. Bonus, I guess. Ethnicity, race against race, race wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes. You could just take earthquakes alone. And using the data from their own data, from the USGS, and you can track the increased earthquakes in both frequency and intensity in just the last 20, 30 years, off the charts. And that's exactly what birth pains are like. So that's his answer. And then when he gets 
Further down to verse 24 in Matthew, uh, pardon me, verse 29 in Matthew 24, he says this. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This is a reference to what we just read here in Isaiah. Wait, now this is not just figurative or metaphorical or uh, an analogy or just, you know. No, this is literally going to happen. Can you imagine? No wonder they're, they're so afraid. They're just crippled and paralyzed in fear. The prophet Joel in chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 references this. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before His army, for His camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes His word. And here it is, for the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. I like that <laughs> rendering, very terrible. It's going to be terrible, not just terrible, very terrible. And then rhetorical, the question, who can endure it? Answer, <laughs> I don't see how anybody can. It's going to happen. It's coming. Verse 11, it gets worse. I will punish the world for its evil. Now, depending on the response to that verse, the first part of verse 11, in your heart, that can tell a lot about how you see God. Now, at first read, is that, wait, what? If, however, conversely, your response is, yeah, God. I mean, that, not like that, that's bad. <laughs> In a sanctified way, of course. It's like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You, you have to, Lord, right? Yes, I do. Because you're just, right? Yes, I am. But you're also loving, right? Yes, I am. In fact, if I wasn't just, I wouldn't be loving. And if I wasn't loving, I wouldn't be just. The illustration that I really helped me a lot, and it's the one I use. If you got a better one, I'm certainly open to it. But picture a courtroom, and you have the judge sitting there in judgment. And the judgment he renders is to the perpetrator of this unspeakable evil, this unthinkable crime perpetrated against this innocent victim. Unspeakable. And the judge is like, yeah, you know, yeah, we'll let this one go. I, I'm, I'm a loving judge. Now, I, you got the victim over here going, no, you're not. You, <laughs> what about me? If you really loved me, you would judge that. You're not loving. That's unjust. Do you see the connection between being a just God and a loving God. God is just, and His judgments are right, and He's going to judge evil, 
And it's coming. Spend some time in Second Peter and just read. It's very short. It won't take you very long. Just spend some time in Second Peter, in that second epistle. It'll really uh, help you kind of revisit that judgment is coming. God will judge. He says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And you'll forgive me, but I like the detail in the rest of verse 11. He says, I will halt the arrogance of the proud. I'm going to put a stop to it. And will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I can't wait. I can't wait because when I see what's happening, and I see the evil, and it's not just evil, it is so brazen with such arrogance. You understand, these people think they're gods. Do you know that? They think they're gods, and we're not even human, by the way, in case you didn't know. You need to know that. That's how haughty and arrogant and proud they are. And God is saying, there is coming a day, I'm going to end it. I'm going to put a stop to it. I'm going to shut their ugly, arrogant mouth. Is that too graphic? I'm sorry if that's too much. Pray for me, because this is, I know they have clinical terms for this condition, but just the, the, the arrogance of it all. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You know, I, Lord, can I please? Okay. Here goes. Every Sunday when we do the ABCs of Salvation at the end of the Prophecy Update, we talk about Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart. But we also read that there is coming a time when every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Now, stay with me on this. There's a difference between Romans 10, 9 and 10, when we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we're doing so unto salvation. But there is coming a day when they will bend their arrogant knees and they will confess with their arrogant, haughty mouths that Jesus is Lord. It will not be to salvation, it will be to damnation. That day is coming. And again, I, if your response is, well that's, that seems disproportionate, or harsh, or unfair, you have to understand this. They have already hardened their heart, They've already made up their minds. They've already sealed their fate. And God will never force anybody to violate their own free will. 
He has given us free will. I'm thinking right now of Pharaoh. I probably am going way off. We'll bring it back. <laughs> Just bear with me. But we read where God, it, it, <laughs> we're told that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now again, at first read, you, you think, well, wait a minute. He didn't stand a fighting chance. God hardened his heart. That doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. I mean, after all, God hardened his heart. No, 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 no. Because what you read before you read that is that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And God is like, okay, you're, you're, that's your decision, your final decision. I'm not going to force you. Here's another one for you. Read Romans chapter 1. Not before you go to sleep. <laughs> Do it first thing in the morning, early when you rise up and seek Him. It's tough stuff, man, because God declares that there is coming a point when He will give them over. And when God just says, okay, have it your way. <laughs> Sorry, that was a flashback. I'm back with you now. No, that's, I'm not going to force myself on you. The Spirit of God is not going to strive with man forever. You know, you've continued to reject me, reject me, reject me. You've already made up your mind. You've already hardened your heart. When God, when it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, what that means is God just gave him over to his already hardened heart and said, okay, that's your final decision. He's just giving them over. Same thing with those in Romans chapter 1 that burn with lust one for another, male for male, female for female. And God just gives them over because they've already made up their minds. They've already sealed their fate. They've already hardened their heart. You know when you uh, get callous on your hands, and it numbs it. It doesn't, you don't feel it. Why? Because of it, the constant rubbing hardens it. And then it's like the, the conscience becomes seared as with a hot iron. You just no longer feel it anymore because it's hardened. It's calloused. And that's what God is saying. Verse 12, actually, I, I didn't miss anything here, did I? Oh, yeah, there's one, one thing here real quick. This is, again, another mention of the dual nature of this prophecy, because this speaks to literal Babylon. We know it today as modern day, in modern day Iraq, about maybe 50 miles or so-ish, heavy on the ish, from the capital of Baghdad. You can visit the ancient city of Babylon. So the first part of this prophecy is dealing with ancient Babylon. But then when you get to the book of Revelation, you're dealing with the world system that is called Babylon. Okay, verse 12. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold, a man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, verse 13, I will shake the heavens, 
and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. It shall be as the hunted gazelle, and as a sheep that no man takes up. Every man will turn to his own people, and everyone will flee to his own land. Everyone, verse 15, who is found will be thrust through, and everyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their children also, I know this is hard, verse 16, will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. Behold, now this is interesting, verse 17, I will stir up the meats against them, who will not regard silver, and as for gold they will not delight in it. What? Who? The meats. The meats? Are you kidding me? You're going to, it's going to be the Medes who are going to come against Babylon? Are you sure you got that right? Yeah, what's your problem? Oh, the Medes at this time were merely a tribe of nomads. They were nobodies. They were nothing. This is why it is that skeptics and even again antagonists, that are so anti-God, will try to argue that there had, this had to be written by a second Isaiah, because there's just no way. You have to understand that this prophecy concerning the Medes and the Persians who would ally together and come against Babylon, exactly as Isaiah prophesied, it would happen two years, approximately 200 years later when this would happen. Now, can you imagine, I'm going somewhere with this, so again, stay with me. Can you imagine this prophecy gets declared? And not, by the way, this is not declared to Babylon. This is declared to Judah and Israel about Babylon. That's important to understand that distinction, and, uh, and understand that what God is saying to His people is, this is what I'm going to do to your enemies all the surrounding nations. I am going to judge them. This is not to them. It's not a warning to them. It's not like Jonah to Nineveh. No, there's no warning. It's, it's already a done deal. It will happen. And he's telling this to his people to encourage their heavy, burdened, weary hearts. It will happen. And it did happen. God said it, and that settled it. But this would have been preposterous. This would have been absurd. <laughs> Isaiah, with all due respect, I know you're a prophet sent from God with a prophecy concerning Babylon. But the Medes, really? Are you sure you heard that right? Yeah, it's the Medes. But God, He said it, and it happened. It happened. Now here's where I'm going with it. We have how many prophecies? 
that on their face would seem as absurd and preposterous as this one. To them then, to us now. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. The book of Isaiah is an interesting one, as the prophet Isaiah spoke things that God wanted the people of Israel to hear, but they just wouldn't listen. Little did they know that much of what Isaiah spoke had bigger significance than they could have imagined. From beginning to end, the book of Isaiah touches on Jesus Christ coming later on. It refers to the announcement of his coming, his birth, his good news of salvation, his death, and his return to claim his own. Wow, what an incredible insight into the future. Sometimes things are plain right before our eyes, and we just aren't willing to see it for what it is. Although the people were ignorant in that present time, God used Isaiah to speak to them anyway and to proclaim the good news that was to come. Do you know of this good news? If not, we'd like you to check out calvarychapelkaneohe.com and head over to the resources page. There you'll find the ABCs of salvation, which goes into a step-by-step understanding the good news of Jesus. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word and to look for more things God wants to teach you in this book of Isaiah. Looking forward to next time here on In Spirit and Truth.